We're still paying for this madness in so many ways. The pieces, people are picking them up. And the studies, the statistics, they're coming in. What happened last year, that Black Lives Matter year of disaster, a lot of people paid the price. Not the media, not liberal Democrats, these folks, primarily young people of color. Thousands of them were killed as a result of defund the police, cancel the cops, everything is racist. The studies are coming in. Take a look. 30% nearly increase in homicides in 2020. And more recently, a dozen cities throughout the country broke their own murder records. Now, you could debate, if you wanted to, the reasons for this, or you could just use common sense. That delegitimizing law enforcement, promoting anarchy, that had a big part of our problem. We saw the media do it in real time. Remember that MSNBC guy who stood in front of the mostly peaceful riots? Again, he didn't pay the price. Uh, Democrats in Congress didn't pay the price. It was those precious young lives. It was all avoidable. But I guess it's like this. Possibly the most controversial thing President Trump said when he was president was that enemy of the people line. But you know what? The more I think about it, I don't think he was ever more right about anything. I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. They hate it when I say it, but you know, honestly, they are the enemy of the people. When they lie, they are the enemy of the people. You are the enemy of the people. When I say the enemy of the people, when I say the fake news, when I say these things, I'm not kidding. Then he shouldn't. We saw how the media went all in with Black Lives Matter, how they resisted all reason and rationale, and how they went all in with Dr. Fauci. Why did they do that, by the way? Well, for one, he was tripping up Trump. Take a look. I mean, he's literally laughing behind Trump's back, giving all of his fake news friends a signal that I am with you, not with him. So he served his purpose. But now we're going back and seeing some of the things he actually said when we were all looking but not paying as much attention as we should. On the vaccines, early in 2020, he was having a conversation with Mark Zuckerberg. If you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? the vaccine could make it worse. He's talking about this stuff out loud. <laughs> uh, next. The only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. Got it. Testing on the population, on everybody. You know, if he said this stuff today, he'd probably be kicked off of Facebook. What's next? This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. Actually made people worse. And he wonders why there's some vaccine hesitancy out there. What role did Dr. Fauci have with vaccine hesitancy? He also gave a very vivid example why some people might be hesitant. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago 
actually made individuals more likely to get infected. So you can't just go out there and give it unless you feel that in the field, when someone is getting infected and exposed, being vaccinated doesn't make them worse. The vaccine with the HIV made people more likely to get infected. The vaccine. Now, uh, the fake news has already looked at this and said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, Dr. Fauci is perfectly, uh, no, this does not undermine vaccines at all. I don't know about that. I don't know about that one bit. Maybe this guy should just shut up. Maybe he should go away, this bureaucrat. I think he's done enough damage as it is. People are still taking his cues. Important people, like the newly important governor of New York State. Her name is Kathy Hochul. And uh, we have this new mass required at all indoor places that don't require proof of vaccination, effective until January 15th. Fines of up to $1,000. And this from our brand new governor. She has no business being the governor to begin with. Check out her qualifications. She was a county clerk, <laughs> small county, upstate New York, and one term in the House of Representatives. You know, it's very hard not to get yourself reelected uh, to the Congress. Anyway, this is where we are. And oh, by the way, just before she issued this mandate, masks, she was seen inside, yep, not wearing a mask, huh? Government, focused on all the important things, aren't they? I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. <laughs> For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, you're so brave. I want you to know your president has your back. Mass, transgender kids watching from home. When did government do big things? There was a time when government did really big things that we could all get behind. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. Now that's America. And we did it, by the way, of course, in 1969, Apollo 11. And on this day in 1972, Apollo 17, we were on the moon and it looked like a lot of fun. Oh, man, I would love to go to the moon. Meanwhile, Amazon is throwing rockets 50 miles up. Uh, by the way, actually, a lot of folks haven't seen this footage. When they launched from the moon, everyone saw the big rocket take off. But did you ever see this? 99, proceeded, 3, 2, one, ignition. Right away, Houston. That's your good. Excellent. Pitch over. Pitch over. Here you have good trust. Isn't that wild? America, we used to do very big things. I hope we do it again. By the way, the Apollo 17 crew, uh, one of those astronauts is still alive. The one on the left, his name is uh, Jack Schmidt. Pretty interesting guy. After he got back from the moon, less than four years later, he was elected to the United States Senate. I mean, 
Talk about accomplishment. And he wasn't even 40 years old. He had walked on the moon and had become a United States senator. I actually met the guy, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Amazing guy. And he took this picture, one of the few pictures of the uh, full Earth, actually. That's not a composite. This is a real photograph. And uh, in one shot, they grabbed it from uh, deep space. Will we do great things as a country again? I know we did it before. It was very exciting. John Kennedy had a vision, communicated it to the American people, and we pulled something off that was magnificent. You think we're going to get there with this guy? I don't think so. I don't think so. In the meantime, Kamala Harris is not impressing people all over again. But if you criticize her, you run the risk of being labeled a racist. Be right back. <laughs> checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And the fake news, they're gutless. They're afraid. They... There used to be this old saying, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That was the mission of journalism, but no more, no more. Now, you've heard about what happened, obviously, in Kentucky, the horrible uh, tornado. And this is the Amazon warehouse that was destroyed. You know that six Amazon employees were killed. Questions are being raised about, well, were they ordered to stay in a tin can as a tornado was bearing down? Text messages between one Larry Verdon, the employee, and his girlfriend suggest he might have been ordered to stay inside. Amazon won't let us leave, he writes. And she replies, so what are you doing? I hope everything is okay. I love you. Seriously, you saw that storm, right? I mean, <laughs> you don't want to be in a tin can, and that's what a warehouse essentially is, uh, when this thing comes by. We don't know all the answers at this point, but we do know that Amazon can be very, very tough on their employees. Now, Jeff Bezos is like the overall guy in charge, but the day-to-day -day manager, the CEO, is a guy named uh, Dave Clark, and <laughs> quite a reputation he has, the sniper who transformed Amazon's delivery system. The story goes like this. Clark described his early career habit of lurking in the shadows of Amazon warehouses and scoping out slackers he could fire, which earned him the nickname The Sniper. Hmm. Nice guy. Now, why isn't anyone really pursuing this? I mean, this is, uh, is, this has to be answered, don't you think? Well, Jeff Bezos is one of the most important men in media. He owns a newspaper, of course, his uh, Amazon streaming services. They have about half the movies on it ever made. This guy is a very, very big deal, and, well, very few want to take him on. But even though he had a great idea in the 90s, doesn't mean he really gets it anymore. Take these silly launches into space 50 miles up. I noticed this. When he went with uh, his friends there back in the summer, the first space shot, he came home and did the strangest thing in the world. He handed Van Jones, a CNN talking head, a check for $100 million 
dollars. He really did this. We need unifiers and not vilifiers. We want people who argue hard and act hard for what they truly believe, but they do that always with civility. We have two awardees today. They'll each be getting $100 million to direct to the charities of their choice as they see fit. The first uh, Courage and Civility Award goes to Van Jones. Van, come on up. <laughs> Van Jones, the Courage and Civility Award. Have you ever seen him on CNN? He said awful, awful things about Republicans. He's called us racist. He said horrible things about anybody who's ever supported Trump. And he does it like out loud in front of every, this is Mr. Civility. How were, how were the Republicans able to push things through when they had less than 60 senators, but somehow we can't? <laughs> well, the answer to that is, they're <laughs> Isn't that cute? When Mr. Civility himself calls uh, Republicans a-holes, Give him $100 million because he's so civil. Now, why did this happen? He's not civil. He's a nasty talking head on CNN. Well, here's the deal these days. Uh, you go into space with three of your white friends and you're woke and you're liberal. Guess what? They're going to say something about that. Where's the diversity? You hand out $100 million checks to the nearest black guy you can find who's in a position like Van Jones and all said and done. You're good. You're good. Very weird world we live in. Criticizing, for the people on the left, by the way, I mean, human beings don't act like this, but leftist maniacs do. You can't even criticize Kamala Harris or else you're racist. Yes, Kamala Harris is having a lot of problems and people across the political spectrum have noticed it, including Peggy Noonan. She wrote the following in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend. She doesn't seem strong in public. She seems scattered and unprepared. Now, by the way, we've all seen that, right? But if you say that and you write it and you're a white person, watch out. Call him essentially saying Vice President Kamala Harris needs to be more humbled. What do you make of that one? Absurd. Absurd. And we've gotten to the point where I'm ready to call this stuff racist and sexist. We've dealt with this for months now. The, the, the criticisms of Kamala Harris are just so far out of pocket. They're not based in any reasonable assessment of her performance. Well, I'm sorry, but we've all seen Kamala Harris being kind of ridiculous everywhere she goes, from Guatemala to uh, the gas station. She's kind of a hysterical, nervous person, and she's not impressing too many people. But again, criticizing her, wow, they will come after you. Even so-called conservatives will come after you. Do you know who Nicole Wallace is? She was in the Bush White House. There she is between uh, the president and his chief advisor. Uh, having fun, it looks like, uh, spinning the Iraq war. Um, she came out guns blazing. If you say anything about Kamala Harris and you're a white female Republican, I mean, it's astonishing that they get to say this stuff on television. This is actually uh, during the campaign. Somebody dared criticize the vice presidential nominee at the time, Kamala Harris. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. And you should keep your mouth shut when other people dance. I mean, what is that line in there about dancing to a drumbeat? This, to me, felt tone deaf. It felt nasty. It felt personal. And it felt bitchy. Wow. Tone deaf, nasty, and bitchy. 
Well, she might actually have some special insight into this. After all, she was a co-host on The View for a little while. Serious people are having a serious conversation. Actually, it's a ridiculous conversation that somehow criticizing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is un-American and a threat to democracy. Serious people are actually saying this is criticizing Joe Biden, a danger to democracy. It goes like this. Uh, ooh, an interesting debate has broken out about the press's role in protecting our two fragile institutions and raveled civic fabric from a Trumpian assault and whether the media, in an effort to support democracy, must unflinchingly support Biden as well. It's amazing that that's even a debate, but those who say you shouldn't criticize Biden, they're actually winning, and it's very, very bizarre. Look, Biden is obviously the worst president we've ever had, um, but they do cover for him. They cover for him. Who remembers Gerald Ford? He was an amazing guy. He was actually a great athlete. Once he took a slight spill at the bottom of the steps on Air Force One, and they would never let him forget it. Every night, every Saturday night on SNL, they ripped him for this one moment. He's dead, and they still call him a klutz. Joe Biden had a spectacular fall, and they covered it up. Did you see this? There's a good chance you didn't. He goes down, let's see here, once twice, three times, and that was that. <laughs> it's hard to find this footage. I guess falling down uh, when you're getting on a plane is not a big deal, but a bunch of Afghanis desperately trying to get on a plane, an American plane, as it leaves Afghanistan, that is a big deal. Or those Afghanis falling not down when they got off the plane, but falling off the plane, that is a big deal. And they're also covering up for that. Stay with us, January 6th. The phony debate about January 6th continues, but we'll have some special insight about that woman right there, Liz Cheney. If you've had it with the old news and the same spent, well, then Spicer and Company is your place for the inside story and for the facts that you need to know. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it. All right, you know what's happening now, right? Uh, inflation's out of control. Joe Biden, nobody likes him. So uh, what do you do? You start talking about January 6th. If you're a Democrat, you start hitting January 6th hard. Some have called this Operation Change the Subject. And it featured the left's favorite Republican, is she a Republican? Liz Cheney. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, He's got to condemn this ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough, Donald Trump Jr. texted. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand, end quote. But hours passed without necessary action by the president. 
Well, that doesn't sound like an insurrection, does it? The president's son, Donald Trump Jr., is saying, we got to say something about this. We got to put out a message. That's not an insurrection. And oh, by the way, she's wrong. She said hours passed. That's not true. Uh, CNN, by the way, you got to remember, the day of January 6th, folks who were watching on TV could not see what was happening on the inside. For the most part, we only saw cameras trained on the outside of the Capitol, and this is about as bad as it got. This is the United States of America, and we're watching protesters try to undermine the course of an election, a constitutional process, through force, by storming the United look, States look at, Capitol. Look at that. That is outside. Jake, I'm sorry to interrupt, but look at those pictures. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, these, these are protesters outside on the steps of the Capitol. They're physically in there. Well, it's a fitting end to an era that has been characterized by lawlessness. You know, I've seen hundreds of marches on the Capitol. It's not unprecedented to have people on the steps of Capitol Hill, City Hall, Capitol Hill. Again, it almost is like they knew about what they wanted to happen on the inside. But on the outside, what we were seeing, those images weren't really disturbing. Later, that changed. But on January 6th, in real time, this is what we were seeing. Now, the president, nevertheless, did put out some statements. Let's put them up. Uh, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Now, if that wasn't enough, they put this one out like Don Jr. wanted. I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. And a little over an hour after that, a statement. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. That's pretty explicit. It really is. Now, they like to pretend, well, he waited. He, he puts out messages on Twitter. It's not an operational mechanism. And by the way, where were the cops? What were they doing? Back to Liz Cheney. Did Donald Trump, through action or inaction, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings to count electoral votes? Through action or inaction, impede uh, the counting of electoral votes. Well, objecting to the counting of electoral votes is legal. It's constitutional. And Democrats try it just about every election. Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. Well... Democrats tried it, but Republicans were a little bit more effective. They actually did get a senator, senators, to sign on. That was in 2017. You remember that guy from uh, impeachment. I think it was the second impeachment. Uh, but Republicans actually knew how to do it. I, Paul Gosar from Arizona. For what Sport. purpose does the gentleman from Arizona rise? I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object 
to the uh, counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. Uh, is the objection in writing and signed by a senator? Yes, it is. It is. There is a provision in the law to do what they just did and what Jamie Raskin attempted to do back in 2017. It's under the Electoral Count Act of 1887. This is not impeding the Constitution. This is exercising the Constitution. This January 6th committee is a fake one because they're asking nonsense questions about who texted what. What they should be asking really is who the heck is this cop and why did he or she let the people in. Look at that, encouraging waves of people to come in. How about the cops who stood on the sides of corridors as protesters, riot, whatever you want to call them, as they just came into the building? And also, moments before Ashley Babbitt was shot, these three cops are guarding the House chamber. It's a chaotic situation. It's loud, but it's under control. And those cops are not being harmed. Then you'll see for no, re no apparent reason whatsoever, they just walk away, three of them. And then all hell breaks loose. And shortly after that, Michael Byrd, the Capitol Hill cop, shoots and kills Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed woman. So back to Liz Cheney for a moment. Why is she running this committee the way she is, a Republican? I think it's personal. Her father, as you know, Vice President Dick Cheney, was, they say, the architect of the Iraq War, the greatest fiasco in our nation's history, I believe. And Donald Trump was not afraid to call it out. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, all right? It was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> Usually, you heard it from people on the left, finally. Anyway, it was glorious. It needed to be said, and he said it, and that's one of the many reasons why they hate him. We'll be back. We're going to talk about what happened last year and the poor people today who are still paying the price for the nonsense of Black Lives Matter summer. That is Congressman Byron Donalds, Republican of Florida, fresh off his endorsement from Donald Trump. They were together not long ago, Christmas party. There they all are. And here's the statement from the former president. Put it up on the screen. Oh, there we go. Congressman Byron Donalds has been a terrific advocate for the people of Florida and our country. He is doing a great job um, working hard for our country every day. He has my complete and total endorsement. Well, congratulations, Congressman Donalds, and welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you were with the president not long ago. Any insight into uh, what he's thinking? What can you tell us? Uh, plans for 2024? 
The first thing I'm going to do is thank the president for his endorsement. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm glad that he's very happy with the job that I'm doing here on Capitol Hill, in spite of the craziness coming from Joe Biden and the Democrats. But more importantly, President Trump is upset about what has happened to America these last 11 months, just like all Americans are. We're seeing crimes arise, prices rise. We have no border security at all. We are made fool of, fools of around the world. There is no credibility coming from the White House right now, very different than what it was a year ago. And so the president is upset about that. I'm upset about that. Obviously, I know your viewers are upset about that and so many Americans. And what President Trump wants to see is America to be restored to its greatness. You know, our culture really seemed to go off the rails. Last year, Black Lives Matter summer, the riots that were glorified by the media and Democrats. And now uh, we're kind of saying we're seeing the receipts. We're seeing the price tag for some of this. Uh, the statistics have come in, new studies and surveys. We had a 30 percent increase in homicide in 2020. And so far this year, something like a dozen cities are breaking their own murder records. Sir, in my opinion, this is directly tied to the stigmatization, the cancellation attempted of cops and law and order. It absolutely is tied to that. I'll go one further. It's also tied to the fact that you have Democrat mayors and Democrat city councils and, frankly, Democrat governors who have not made sure that enforcing the law and maintaining public safety is their primary goal. They've wanted to be woke. They want to go play around with the political left. They want to get into all these new funky ideas like critical race theory and things like that, as opposed to doing their job, maintaining law and order, and keeping people safe. And so the criminal element knows full well that if the cops aren't going to do their job because they're being berated by Democrat politicians every single day and they're basically being tamped down from actually executing and doing the things that they're supposed to do to keep our citizens safe. And then you add in these radical district attorneys that people like George Soros have gotten elected where they won't even prosecute people who get arrested by the police. The recipe is what you see in blue cities all across America. It is a travesty. It is a disaster. And it purely falls at the feet of the Democrat Party. Well, I'll go one further. I think the media, they have a huge role in all of this. The media, they, uh, they promoted, they celebrated all of this. They purposely looked the other way. We all saw that famous footage of, I think it was Ali Velshi standing in front of the riot and saying somehow this is a mostly peaceful affair. Um, the media has, I think, done so much damage. How are you, are you getting a fair shake on Capitol Hill? First shake from Nancy Pelosi? No. She's only concerned with her agenda. But again, I'm not concerned about fair shakes on Capitol Hill. What I'm concerned about is making sure that we're championing the ideas that put America first every single day, whether that's on Capitol Hill, whether that's in media, or whether that's back home in my congressional district, or any other district that I happen to travel, go, and see. That's what I'm concerned about. If the news media and Nancy Pelosi aren't happy with me, I really don't care. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is the future of our country making sure that people are just free to live their lives, live in peace, um, start businesses, make great careers, and just live the American dream. That's what all of this is about. If, um, if somebody like me doesn't get a fair shake in Washington, so be it, as long as America can thrive. All those things you talked about, uh, being able to live your life free, start a business, that, that, that should be a given, but it's no longer a given 
We're glad you're there fighting the fight. Hey, back to the crime issue for a moment. How is this for a lack of leadership? The Biden administration, uh, Jen Psaki at the podium today, asked about this, uh, this surge, especially the smash and grabs. The Biden administration response is... When you say that we've seen an increase in crime over the course of the pandemic, there are a range of reasons for that. Would you consider one of the reasons in the range prosecutors who are cutting people who are accused of many criminal offenses loose too quickly? I, again, I am not, as I as I wasn't yesterday, going to give an assessment for every uh, every in, every motivation or reason for crime in different communities across the country. Just uh, not going to get into it. Uh, who are we? We're just the uh, we're just the White House. Why would we why would we get into the details on such an issue? The thing that's so ironic is that whenever some case that the media and the Democrats love to talk about, they form opinions before the facts come out. Look no further than Kyle Rittenhouse. They love to draw conclusions. They love to have opinions when it suits their interests. But the reality is, is that their policies have failed America. And so Jen Psaki has no answers. Joe Biden has no answers. And the only answer that's going to matter is getting rid of Democrats in the House and in the Senate come 2022. And then also also, in our cities across the country, we need voters. I'm not talking about Republicans. We need voters. We need citizens to start holding their local officials accountable so they can actually enforce the law and get our cities back on track. Um, Joe Biden is, uh, <laughs> well, he seems to be losing it. It's kind of sad. Sometimes I'm sorry. It's kind of humorous. There is this word, exponentially. We all learned it in school, exponential. I think when uh, something compounds itself, Mathematically, exponential. Well, the uh, the good people at the RNC media office uh, put together. Joe Biden can't get this word right. I'd like to play it for you, sir. Exponentially. 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 All right, we get the idea. The thing is, uh, if you watch ordinary news, they're not going to tell you about this, uh, Congressman, because they feel they have a duty to cover up for Joe Biden's mistakes. They're actually talking about this. Is criticizing Joe Biden a danger to democracy? They have told themselves that uh, Donald Trump is such a monster that we got to overlook anything that Joe Biden does because Donald Trump has totally changed the rules. Listen, I mean, first of all, big media has a they're majorly at fault for a lot of things that are happening in the country right now. They backed Joe Biden. They supported Joe Biden. They've ignored all the times where Joe Biden was just flat out wrong, which is basically every time. And so, look, I can deal with him mispronouncing a word if he was actually just credible at his job. But he sucks at his job as being commander in chief. And this just looks utterly ridiculous. Our country does not have leadership right now, not credible leadership. This this is a joke that's happened to our country. It's sad for America. And big media, in part, is largely to blame because they cover for this mess as opposed to doing their job, 
under the First Amendment. They're supposed to be free to hold government accountable, but all they are are the biggest cheerleaders for this administration and the radical left. And that's what has so many people upset with big media. That's why big media's approval ratings are lower than Congress, because they lie all the time and they're not honest with the American people about what's actually happening. Well, we may not have leadership in the White House, but we uh, we have you and a select few others in the House of Representatives. Congressman Byron Donalds, we thank you again. To be continued, sir, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Wow. Uh, 11 days. We'll be right back. You're looking at Batia Unger-Sargon. She is the deputy opinion editor of Newsweek and author of the book, just came out in October, Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. I have my own copy. I am reading it and enjoying it thoroughly. It's very, very good. Very, very thoughtful. Batia, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, thank you, thank you. Listen, there's a there's a point that you make in this book, uh, very interesting. You talk about the kinds of people who have these media jobs, particularly internet, digital media jobs. Um, these jobs don't pay that much money. So a no. certain type of person gets that job or can do that job. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the impact is for uh, all of us? Yeah, absolutely. So think about it like this. A digital media job, an entry-level job, pays $35,000 a year, and 75% of those jobs are on the coasts. They're in San Francisco, they're in Seattle, they're in New York, they're in Washington, D.C., okay? Who can afford to live in New York City on $35,000 a year? That is the question. That is the answer to who our journalist class is. It is the children of rich elites. That's who it is, liberal elites. And all right, children of liberal elites. So what motivates them and how is that going to impact the coverage? I get it, I get it already, they're rich kids. How is that going <laughs> to change? How is that going to change how they cover the news and what they actually you know, put out there? Turn on your TV every single day and you'll see it, you know? It's gonna impact the news by having Kyle Rittenhouse be smeared as a white supremacist, okay? It's gonna impact the news by having the Jesse Smollett story totally uh, memory hold. It's gonna impact the news by what's not covered. These kids are not gonna write about crime because it doesn't happen in their neighborhoods and so they cannot fathom who the victims of these crimes are and they're just not gonna cover it at all. It's gonna be, you know, it's, it's impacted in, for example, what happened at the New York Times with the Tom Cotton op-ed, if you believe that there should be any government response to rioting, forget about it. You get deplatformed because these views are not popular in the university, in these sort of elite university colleges where these kids are coming from. Um, let me run this by you. Uh, what Certain articles are written to spark a reaction on the internet, right? That's kind yes. of motivating all these guys. I have noticed that big time reporters from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, they can put a story on Twitter, but those articles actually don't get much of a reaction. Not too many comments. I'm wondering, have you noticed that number one? And number two, like, does that have an impact on these reporters? I feel like it's driving them crazy. I can make an observation about, you know, Burger King and get a thousand comments, but 
some guy at the Wall Street Journal puts out an article and it makes hardly uh, hardly a dent, at least on Twitter. What I think is the the real sort of resentment towards right wing media from left wing media is less about the retweets. And it's more about the fact that right wing media is catering to the people that left wing media abandoned, specifically the working class. You have a working class audience and you can influence that audience. But more importantly, you listen to that audience. And they do not have that audience. They are catering to a highly educated elite, to the 6% of Americans who identify as progressives. That's who they're catering to. But that was made. That was a conscious decision they made. But I think there's a lot of resentment to the fact that right-wing media has a relationship with America's working class that they abandoned. Very interesting. And maybe because I, uh, I come from the working class, you know, military. My dad was a cop and all that stuff. And uh, I know what you're talking about. They seem to be writing for their friends instead of the readers, the audience, uh, which would hopefully be a mass audience. But more and more, it's a niche audience. It's a little sliver, right? Absolutely. And for the very reason that you pointed to earlier, in digital media, we know who our audience is. It's very easy to cater to a niche, right? It used to be you had all of these different outlets and they would each cater to a different audience. Now you have the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, NPR. They're all catering to the same very, very small elite. And they can do that because on the back end, on digital media, we can measure who is engaging with our stories with Twitter. There are people out there who get they, they, they call criticism of Kamala Harris racist. This is um, Nicole Wallace, a conservative officially. Every time uh, Kamala Harris is mentioned, she really gets her back up. This is actually last fall, 2020, but it's still applicable. Uh, her reaction to a negative piece about liberal Democrat Kamala Harris. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. And you should keep your mouth shut when other people dance. I mean, what is that line in there about dancing to a drumbeat? This, to me, felt tone deaf. It felt nasty. It felt personal. And it felt bitchy. <laughs> She's lecturing Republican white women, which she is one. Um, I wonder who her target audience and what the motivation is in something like that, because you see it all the time. But what do you make of that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the target audience of that is a highly educated, affluent liberal elite who doesn't want to see Kamala Harris um, insulted. But I mean, not even just insulted. They don't want to see her criticized. And pulling this attack out, saying that any criticism of a black woman is inherently racist or sexist, how dehumanizing is that? The book is Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Batya Unger-Sargon, a real truth teller. You may not agree with her on everything, but there's a... There's a lot here, and I, I'm liking it a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Okay, we'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Good night and thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.